From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 431. Today's show is brought to you by Capital One, Clean My Mac X, and ZocDoc. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very good. I just want to say up top so we don't have to say it ever again during this episode. We're recording this episode a few days before we usually would. It's being recorded on Friday the 28th of October. Uh, just in case anything changes between now and episode release. Probably won't, yeah. but you never sure. I never like to yeah. record this far in advance for Upgrade. No, because news breaks, but we have so much news um, Already, last yeah. week. Oh, right? there that, See, uh, professional, mm-hmm. that uh, we figured we could do it, and, and there's some, uh, we couldn't record on Monday this week for personal reasons, um, not business reasons. Yep. And so here we are uh, a couple days early. So yes, if you... If you say, why didn't they mention that terrible thing that happened on Sunday? Now you know why. This is why. And, you know, this This was one of those things we were talking about it in our uh, discussions, as we tend to. And I was like, oh, I don't think I can make the episode on the 31st. And Jason very rightly pointed out, but Mike, it's results time. And I was like, let's do it early, baby. Yeah. I'm in. It's, it's episode 431st. So, right? It's like the date. And it's Halloween. So spooky. Woo. I have a hashtag snail talk question for you. Yep. Mark wants to know, Jason, do you use web bookmarks? If you do, how often do you tidy them up, getting rid of dead or changed links or whatever? I save bookmarks if there's a place that I'm going, I know that I'm going to say, where where is that bookmark or where is that site later and have forgotten about it. Honestly, I haven't used a bookmarks menu in a very long time. I do have like a toolbar favorites that I have like the stuff that I use every day. But for other stuff, I literally, I save it and then I type in the Safari bar, like the word that I think is in the name of the bookmark and find it that way. I right. don't like go down the menu looking for it. I just okay. type a word or two like that, that are the words. I'm, essentially, I search in the, uh, in the Safari bar for the name, the title tag. Why have the bookmarks? Because like... All of these web browsers now, they just autocomplete based on your history, right? So, like, that's what yeah, you're but, really doing. Yeah, uh, but when you bookmark something, you think, I may need this in four months. Right. Right? Or or I I need to get back to this, and I don't want to remember it, and I don't know, but I'm so I'm just going to save it. You're right. If it's just history, although I don't think history syncs across devices, so there's some advantages of bookmarks there, too. But mostly I just do iCloud. it. iCloud actually does sync does sync history some level of history sometimes mm, yeah. you know it's iCloud you know what I mean my point <laughs> is my point is I basically toss it in a little pile that is I probably am gonna want to look at this again someday and I'm not gonna be able to remember what it is so I'm gonna bookmark it and then I'm gonna type a word that appears in its title and I'm gonna go that's the one and I'm gonna go there and to the answer to the other question how often do I tidy them up well Mark last year I edited my bookmarks file and I deleted, I would say hundreds, if not thousands that had been there for over probably a decade. Mm-hmm. So not very often, but I do, because again, you're, you're basically just cleaning out the coal bin at that point, right? Like I, I'm, I'm not saving that stuff in a brilliantly curated list. I'm, I'm literally, it's a save for later in case I need this URL kind of, kind of thing because mm. you know you know i just it's one of those things where you see a product like i guess i could have them open in like tabs or something I but i don't really want open. them yeah. i don't really want them open because 
if I if I think I'm going to act on them soon, I might send them to a tab. But a lot of this stuff is like, I might need this later. I'm going to save a bookmark so that I can find this site later because otherwise I'm never going to remember it. And that's it. If you would like to send in a question to help us open a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snowtalk or use question mark Snowtalk in the Relay FM members Discord. I have installed Ventura. It happened after the episode last week. I wanted to, to, in, to install it and talk about it in Upgrade Plus, but it didn't happen in time. Right. One of the things I just wanted to mention as a piece of follow-up was my experience with Continuity Camera. It's exactly what I wanted because mm. I now have a, can have a webcam that doesn't flicker like madness because of my overhead lighting. And the way that I worked it out is I'm using, because I don't have a mount for the studio display, right? There isn't one yet. So I had an Elgato Flex Arm, which is like it's like an arm system that you use. I use it for some of my lights. I bought a few of them during the podcast-a-thon time one year, and I had a spare one. So I've hooked that up to kind of hover over the back of my desk, and then I put a glyph from Studio Neat above it. So I could just put my phone up there, clip it in, turn on, uh, and then the camera comes on. Fantastic. And I took Jason's advice. I turned off center stage, and it looked fantastic. It's the ah. best I've looked on a video call in a long time. However, I want to add something in that I knew was going to happen, and Apple tried to tell me they were super smart. Not they didn't tell me. tried to tell everyone, oh, there's no way. We have algorithms. I was on a call with Stephen yesterday. I had my phone on the desk in front of me, camera down, uh-huh. and it went, ba-ding. Yep. And it connected. So mm-hmm. not really that smart, to be honest. Uh, as I knew this was going to happen, it's going to keep happening. Uh, that's just life. But when it works, and it does work, fantastic. Yep, I, I agree. I agree. Have you ever had it happen to you where, where it, like, it turns on when you didn't want it to? So I did a live stream with Dan Morin after the Apple results came out last week. Uh-huh. And it, uh, it, I opened Ecamm Live. And I wasn't using it as the camera, but my phone was on my desk. And the moment I opened Ecamm Live, it went ding. Yep. It looks like essentially, it looks like you're using cameras now. Uh, I'm one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right, fine. Uh, Joanna Stern had an interview with uh, Craig Federighi and Grez- Greg Joswiak as part of the Wall Street Journal Tech Live event which is pretty cool, actually. I still have it saved in my YouTube to watch the whole thing, but I've seen some clips. Mm-hmm. Wanted to bring it up here because during this interview, uh, Jaws confirmed that Apple will be moving to USB-C, as they have to, but it's a confirmation. Sure. As a quote, this is like, the the the, the clip is long. I, I'm going to put in the show notes the full video. It's like a two-minute thing. And his answer is interesting. I think it's very apple and honestly, I could like... Uh, whatever. But what he said is, we will have to comply with the law, but it would have been better to not have a government be that prescriptive. Uh, so Greg kind of like, he he talks about innovation and all that kind of stuff and how government's standards can impede innovation. But I'm not sure I fully agree with him when it comes to USB-C specifically. Like he brings up micro USB, but that was always bad. We never liked micro USB as a connector. Right. Nobody wanted all phones to go to micro USB. But exactly. people are more happy with USB-C because it is a much more universal, convenient, mm-hmm. and good connector. So I still stand by it, but it's interesting to hear him talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much like a talk show, John Gruber talk yeah. show, WWDC interview. You've got... You got Apple execs; they're on point. They're not gonna uh, like uh, blurt out <laughs> things that they don't plan on saying, but they can provide a little more detail 
that uh, about their way of thinking that we've in this case, it's a perfect example, actually, of how we've got the rumors. We've got the news reports about Europe. Rumors that Apple's doing a USB-C iPhone. All that is out there. So anybody who's observing knows what's going to happen. But it's different, at least, to have the person from Apple say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we were going to have to. Um, that, And that's what we got. Speaking of rumors, how about a rumor roundup? Sounds great. Let's do it. So there is a, uh, a report from Wayne Ma at The Information that Apple is working on a 16-inch iPad Pro to be released mm. next year. Could be released next year. Probably 2024. Anyway, quote, a 16-inch iPad would likely be geared toward creative professionals such as graphic artists and designers who prefer a larger screen. Mm-hmm. We had previously discussed the rumor of a 14-inch iPad uh-huh. Pro. So here's my question to you, Jason. 16-inch, 14-inch, do we get one of these or both of them? I wonder what the source... It sounds like these are both pretty decent rumors, and so this is a question. Is what is Apple really going to just supersize the iPad Pro or the supersize the iPad, right? I assume they should be called iPad Pro. There's that iPad Studio idea right out there that these are more arty kind of things but at the same time with stage manager you could also use them as laptops basically like the 14 and 16 inch macbook pros and so they 14 and 16 inch ipad pro macbook pro and then what happens to the rest of the product line i think it could happen Mm. i think it's entirely possible it will it will happen how many different ipad models does apple want to make is the question right now right now the fact is that they make um an almost 11-inch iPad, an almost 11-inch iPad, an 11-inch iPad, an 11-inch iPad, and a 12.9-inch iPad, and, and, the, and the iPad mini, right? So there's room for more variation than we have right now in the product mm-hmm. line. But I, I, w- I would be surprised if Apple goes all in on, on big iPads and comes out with two different size models instead of sort of testing the waters. Yeah, This is, this is what, what these reports being in conflict is kind of fascinating to me. I also wonder if there's a detail we're missing here. Like, if if are these iPads, is there an accessory we don't understand or don't know about? Or are they kind of more, I wanted to say, are they convertibles? But I think the answer to, Apple's answer to convertibles, like on the PC side, is accessories, right, for the iPad. Yeah. I think their answer is, if you want your iPad to also be a laptop, you snap on a thing. Yeah. And now it's a laptop. You don't flip it around and pull it off and stuff like that. You, mm-hmm. it's a it's a separate accessory that you buy. It's interesting because, like again, I have just not felt like Apple's level of enthusiasm for the high end of the iPad line would lead to them saying, "Well, heck yeah, let's just go fourteen and sixteen like the laptops." And and the artists will love it, and the people who use the keyboards will love it because it's basically the size of a MacBook Pro. At that point, people that use the iPad for work will probably love it. I have my my vision, Jason, mm-hmm. is five or six iPads, no size variations, all with their own unique name. Right? Oh, that's the dream, right? That's that's this is what I could see here. So you got iPad, right? We know what the iPad is. We spoke about it. iPad Air, right? Mm-hmm. iPad Pro, and then mm-hmm. iPad Studio and or iPad Ultra. They can okay. choose, right? And so iPad, we know. iPad Air, we know. No 11-inch iPad Pro anymore. Get rid of that. You said all the same size. 
Yeah, all one size, as in like each name has one iPad. See, okay, because I th- I thought you were saying kind <laughs> of five, it, as a joke. IPads. It's like what I think they need to do is they need to release. Are you getting it yet? Five different fourteen-inch iPads. iPads one but, iPad. but technically, technically not though. It'll be the thirteen-point-nine-inch iPad, the fourteen-inch iPad Air, the fourteen-point-two-inch iPad Pro, and the fourteen-point-two-five-inch iPad Studio. Uh, yeah. No, okay, I get what you mean, which is the name means the size instead of it being yeah. um like what it is now where there's three different names for products that are almost exactly the same size. Cuz I really think that the 11-inch iPad Pro that we have now is the last we're going to see. Like I think that Apple's put that writing on the Absolutely. wall. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I think now the iPad Air is so good. Like basically I'm like imagining them like if okay, if the iPads are like the Macs now. How would that look and work? And so I don't know if, honestly, if they would do a 14-inch and a 16-inch, but if they do, I think the iPad Pro just comes in 14, and then they have a bigger one, which is Studio or Ultra, and it's 16. And it's different in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like maybe the Pro gets like the OLED screen or whatever, and the 16-inch gets a LCD screen or whatever, mini LED or whatever it is, but it's like... It's not necessarily the most specs, even though it would be the most expensive because it's the biggest. Like I think the the line might get weird, but the idea being like, these are your products, and right. you choose which one you need based on your use case, which I think is much more like how you pick a Mac. Right, and the idea. I mean, first off, you could parallel the Mac line in a bunch of ways with the names, right? Where yep. there's a there's a MacBook Air, and then there's a MacBook Pro 14 and 16, and then you've got the big beefy one for specific use cases. Right. And then I start to think, um, I mentioned that you wouldn't do a convertible if you're Apple. Like I wrote, I wrote those articles way back when about like they should do a laptop. And the answer was, well, no, they did the magic keyboard. And and I think that's true. And I think that this vision that Apple has that I, I think Federico has done a really good job of um, writing and speaking about uh, and and defining it's the idea that the iPad the the point of the iPad is that it's what you want it to be at any given con- at any given time, and it starts with a touch tablet and then it goes where you want. It, you can add a pencil, you can add a keyboard, you you know you can plug it into a monitor, you can sort of do turn it into other things, and it's the same device and that's the point of it. Whereas a Mac is a Mac, it does its thing, and that's the thing it does. It's not a transforming device like an iPad can be. And the the next step, once you accept that about the iPad, is that the iPad is defined as much by its accessories and as it is by uh, itself as a yeah. product. And so when we talk about a 14 or a 16-inch iPad, I start to think, well, yeah, what are the accessories? Like a keyboard thing that makes it a laptop, a 14 or 16-inch laptop like the MacBook Pro, is one of those things. But when you talk about like maybe the 16 would not be the ultra iPad, but but could be one thought that I had is could be the iPad Studio, yep. where the selling point is that it is for artists. Big drawing canvas. Yeah, exactly. Well, you could see maybe there's a different setup for that where there's a different um a, a different ergonomics for the size and leads to a different kind of uh of case for it where you're using it on a lap or on a table. Um I, with with stage manager and external display support and all of that, I do wonder if a larger iPad Pro um, might even have like a dock 
kind of thing where you put it you you put it on a, a desk and it docks with um, devices that are on a desk, like a desktop dock. They could do that if they wanted to. And and Apple expresses its vision for the iPad as a platform through the accessories. It's not just that, you know, I, I said the accessories define it, but the other way to view it is it's also Apple. Like we, <laughs> over the years, have attached all sorts of weird things to the iPad where, where like Federico is running it in mirrored mode and attaching, mm-hmm. attaching a keyboard and you still have to use the touch screen and stuff like that. And over time, you know, there, there comes that moment where Apple says, here's the magic keyboard. This is okay now. Like we now say, yes, the iPad is meant to be used like a laptop with a pointing device and a keyboard. That's one of its uses. Um, or when everybody had the little rubber styluses and then Apple said, mm, Apple Pencil. Like that was Apple saying, yes, now our vision for this product includes that. So what does that mean for a, a 14, a 16, a, a change at that at the upper end of the iPad? Um, I don't know, but it's really interesting to think about it because probably the accessories are part of what defines it. Also, not just on the high end, right? Because I know that there's been a lot of discussion about, um, I know you guys have talked about it on Connected, the idea of that Google tablet. Yep. That has a dock that turns it into kind of like a home uh, hub, an, like a, like an Amazon. Oh, what is that called? Show, what, Echo Show. Echo Show. Yeah. Where we've been talking on this podcast about the idea of what if Apple made a thing that was kind of like an iPad, but kind of like a HomePod. Well, one way for Apple to do that is to literally make a dock for the iPad that is a HomePod. And so you could drop an iPad in, and now it's an iPad and a and a thing that's got so it's got a screen and a and a and a speaker and all of that. And you could also just lift it out, and it's an iPad, and that's interesting too. So I there are a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation. I, I, these are baffling enough to me. The idea that they will be working on a sixteen and a fourteen that it obviously led me down this path of of kind of talking about all this stuff. But it's because my instinct is. If they're doing this, there's way more to this story than is visible above the waterline right now. Like there's something going on beyond just, yeah, we're going to make a couple bigger iPads, right? It's not going to be enough for that to be the story. This episode is brought to you by Capital One. Have you ever hit a technical snafu while you're shopping online? Have you ever gotten a headache from having to fill out a bunch of really confusing payment fields? Has a mobile banking app ever been down when you most needed it? Well, Capital One believes everyone deserves better banking, and this means easier access to money and more security, which is why Capital One is investing in machine learning. Machine learning allows Capital One to do things like fight fraud with random forests. These are models that will quickly detect suspicious activity and make it faster to alert federal investigators. They identify how mobile app outages happen with causal models. This keeps their mobile app up and running doesn't happen by accident, right? It takes a lot of work to do this kind of stuff. Anomaly detection and incident response help determine why app outages are happening so their engineers can quickly remedy them and get you back to what you want to be doing. Capital One speed up online shopping with machine learning at the edge. This makes shopping with virtual card numbers smoother and more secure, which is a great technology, and it's great that they're putting their effort in. This technology is based on logistic regression models and running inference in the browser. This will identify payment fields and makes using those virtual card numbers easier, faster, and just better for everyone. The potential of machine learning is huge. See how Capital One is using machine learning to create the future of banking. Search machine learning at Capital One. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Money time. Oh boy, you know, first first iPads, we could do a whole show about that, but we can't we can't stop. 
We money can't time. stop because it's charts time. Money, 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 money. Money, 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 money. Money and charts, charts and money. Money charts, money charts. Charty, charty, money charts. Apple's Q4 2022 results are out. If you remember, obviously, Apple has their financial year and it doesn't match up completely with the calendar year. So the Q4 results end the end of September. And then uh, yes, they do. the holiday season is Q1, right? So that's the next one. Yeah, Q1 of 23. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, very confusing, but finances. Yeah, think about it when they report. Think about when they report it instead of when they have it. Is the way to think about. Oh, it, right? look like at you! In January twenty three, they'll report on Q one twenty three. So it's, which happens in twenty two, but don't think that far. Just leave it at when they talk about it and go on from there. Let me do some top line, and then we can dig in. Okay. The revenue for the quarter was ninety point one billion. Billion. Billion of a B dollars. That is up 8% year over year, making it a record Q4 for the company. And they brought in $20.7 billion of profit. The Mac was at $11.5 billion, up 25% year over year. This was a record all-time quarter for the Mac. Is that right? Uh, yes. The biggest Mac quarter ever. Incredible. The iPad, $7.2 billion of revenue, down 13% year over year. The iPhone... Mm-hmm. $42.6 billion of revenue, up 10% year over year. I believe this is a Q4 record for the iPhone. Would not surprise me. I'm not 100% on that, but yeah, I think you're right. I did some digging, and some, again, it's hard because of charts and stuff, but like as far as I could tell, yes. Because really, if it it's bigger than any when the iPhone 6 was around, and if it beat that, it beat everything. Exactly. Uh, services is $19.2 billion, which is up 5%, but we'll get into this in a minute, down again on the previous calendar quarter, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting thing for services. It's a thing I don't feel like you pay attention to for anything else, but services is a little bit different because it's all just like in theory should be additive if nobody's canceling, but maybe they are. Wearable home and accessories, $9.7 billion, up 10%. I believe this is also a Q4 record as well. So you can see where they were shining but there were some places where they weren't. But overall, led to an increase year over year. This was higher than they forecasted, right? That 90.1? Well, they don't forecast anymore. Oh, yeah, I forgot. But, they but it, they it, stopped it doing was, that, didn't they? It yeah. was more than was expected, I yeah. would say. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about... Oh, let me do the just one last thing in numbers. Uh, the revenue by category for the quarter. iPhone, 47%. Services, 21%. Mac, 13%. 11% for wearables. 8% for iPad. Pretty similar to other uh, quarters frequently, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little lower than like next time iPhone will be 55 yeah. or 60%. But, cause it, but yeah, basically the same. So I think the services are interesting. Remember on last week's episode, uh, there was some breaking news that they're putting up services uh, by like, they're putting up like, the bundles a little bit. Yep. Do you reckon this is related? Okay, it is related, but mm. in a complicated way, right? Love it. So, um, <laughs> well, I actually had to do math yesterday, as sometimes happens, which is, think about, so one of the things that affects services more than other categories at Apple is exchange rates. So they talk a lot about foreign exchange headwinds. That's their metaphor. Everyone's, this is the new, headwinds, headwinds is the new, like, business speak it feels like yep. because every c-suite executive yep. 
either owns a sailboat or fancies that they own a sailboat. Everyone keeps talking about it, like headwinds as like it's it's a way to say declining without saying declining. Yeah. Just like, oh, we've got well, some headwinds. You know the headwinds. I mean what what they mean is that the environment is against them, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that this is accurate. So when we talk about foreign exchange and Apple will say that foreign exchange really hurts them. And you might be saying to yourself, How does that happen? Well, services is a great example of how it happens because the dollar, as they said, is stronger than it was against essentially every currency right now. The dollar is very strong. And if you're an American, that's great because it means that when you go to any other country, your money goes further than it used to. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. It's bad if you're any other country and you are buying products from America because they're more expensive than they used to be. Um, Where it hits Apple and services is if you think about a product, Apple doesn't shift their prices too often. But they, they uh, until last week, they didn't shift their services prices at all. And more to the point, your services prices every month or every year, you just get charged for it. And the price stays the same, right? Until they raise it, the price stays the same. So theoretically, if you go buy a Mac, in, a, in two years from now, they might raise the price of that Mac. Apple tends to not do that, but they could. Uh, they, they do do it. And, and actually, outside of the U.S., they do, right? Yeah, outside mm-hmm. of the U.S., they do it all the time. They, they adjust. Every time they release a new product, they, they adjust the prices. Right. For this reason. But services, they don't do that. So you end up in a situation. I'll give you an example. And you know this example, Mike. Apple TV Plus debuted in the U.K. at £4.99 per month, right? At the time, that was 6 41 in American dollars every month mm-hmm. coming back to Apple. Today, because the dollar is stronger against the pound, it would only be worth 573 per month for them. Mm-hmm. And this is true everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world where these services are at a fixed cost, over time as the dollar has gotten stronger, all of them have generated less revenue. Right, now, what Apple right. will tell you is that services grew double digits year over year so at least twice as the 5% oh. that it grew overall in local currency. Wait, what does that mean? Can you explain what does that mean? <laughs> local currency. That means that means that if we if I look at how much money oh. I made on Apple services in the UK in mm-hmm. great, great British pounds uh last year at this time and then this year at this time it's up more than, you know, up 10 or more percent. They mm-hmm. didn't say they just said up double digits. But then you throw then you convert it to dollars and last year the the exchange rate was better, yep. and so it, now it looks like it's down or yep. flat, even though it actually in Great Britain pounds is up. So that's what they mean, and I know it's esoteric, but I, the services gets hit by it more than a product here and there because they can adjust the product prices, but they don't generally. They I know they just raise the price everywhere around the world for their services, but. Uh, what they don't do and haven't done is every six months change the Apple TV Plus price in all countries to be different in order to fit with exchange rates. They just eat it, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that they're saying if you're trying to if you're trying to see how we're doing on services money, what you're seeing is being swamped by weird foreign exchange things that are happening. Um, and and there is absolutely truth in that. So so when they raise the prices, is this one of the reasons why? I think it is. Although they they in their press release and on the call, they both um, Tim Cook made the point of saying 
the they basically they blame as we said last week they blame the record companies for the apple music increase their licensing fee went up and the way he said it cuz we were laughing about it last week about the uh you know it it does mean your favorite artists will be paid more but we, you know it's the they our licensing fee went up and that's why we're raising it so we blame the record companies but we appreciate that this money will be going at least in part to your favorite artists on the call what tim cook said is something like at least artists will get paid more so that's something i guess it was really reluctant okay like, there you go so i mean well, that's right, telling you whatever. what we were saying it's like mm-hmm. it happens but we don't actually don't care yeah, yeah, it's like this. Th- them raising our licensing fee sucks, but at least the you know at least the artists will get more. So what? Um, whereas the Apple TV Plus, he gave an argument for raising Apple TV Plus, and what he said was, "Well, when we launched it, there wasn't anything on it, so it was cheap. But now we made a lot of stuff, so now there's more stuff there. So now we have to raise the price." Well, no, you see, but that's the wrong argument, though, isn't it? Because the actual <laughs> argument is when we launched it, it. We gave it away for free because there was nothing on it because we knew that five ninety nine yeah. a month was too expensive. Right, but then three months in or whatever, we we charged you five ninety nine because yeah. uh, there wasn't a big catalog. But we built up a I big catalog. Find that strange, like that argument mm. of like, I feel I feel like their answer should really be. Uh, we're making a bunch more stuff now. And so we're going to, I mean, nobody's going to say the truth, which is like the Disney plus thing, right? Where they started at low and everybody knew they were going to raise it and they did. And you know, the right answer is, well, we started low because we wanted to get people to used to it. And now we want to increase it. So we get more money. I mean, that's the answer, but Mm -hmm. they're not going to say that. So, okay. That's a really good putting it in context for me because i was looking at the, the services thing was like that doesn't look good right because it's like nope. you it keeps Two going quarters down. down sequentially yeah. which it's is not you know good. again it's up year over year but you can't keep that up right you do you mm-hmm. go down once you go down four quarters sequentially guess what you're not going to be up year over year anymore right <laughs> you're going to keep going down you can't you can only do it so much and services is the rare thing where, like, in theory, if you're doing everything right, it continues to go up forever yes. because you're keeping forever. customers and acquiring new customers. But right. at least it seems like what they're saying is they're giving that rare piece of detail because it helps them, right? Because they don't give these kinds of yes, details. Of of like, no, we definitely had user growth, but the money has changed. So now, I mean, that's we're probably going to get a real nice jump up for the next quarter, right? As the prices go up or whatever, but... That's interesting. I would think it depends on foreign exchange. I would imagine that in the long run, I mean, there's this question of like, well, right, what but does the, this do all for- of the U.S. money is is added. Yes, and everything else it'll be padded by the yeah. fact that that there's an increase. But I guess what I'm saying is, in the long run, there's also the fact that I think Apple expects in the long run um, a reversion to the mean. Right? That that like when the dollar gets strong, at some point the dollar's gonna get less strong. Mm-hmm. And it'll all kind of come back around, mm-hmm. but in the short term, that's not the case. And uh, and so yes, adding a, a, as little as it seems it is to go up a couple of dollars. The fact is, if you go from from five to seven, it's a forty percent increase. So yeah, I mean, it will. It I think it will have a sub- substantive benefit. Um, how much of the services piece is Apple Music, Apple One, Apple TV Plus, and and the rest? versus like the app store and app store advertising and all that. Although Tim Cook, we we may talk about advertising a little bit later, but Tim Cook sort of said, uh, you know, our ad business is very small. It's very small compared to everybody else's ad business. But anyway, uh, that's a question too. They're getting bigger all the time though, eh, Tim? They are. They do seem to be. 
Actually, one of the things they bl- also blamed services revenue shortfalls on was uh, softness in the advertising market and in the gaming market, which is something that they've said a few times, which it sounds like uh, in the height of the pandemic, uh, there was a lot more gameplay. And go figure, these days there's less of it, and that means there's less game revenue coming into the app store from all of those games and all of those in-app purchases, and that hurts them too. Ben Thompson makes the argument, which I I like. He he was talking about this uh, in regards to, I think, Facebook. No, probably not for Google, I think it was. That guy's a bunch of companies. Early season's time, you know. And yep. he was saying that, yeah, like it does seem like there is a softness in the gaming market now because people are not spending money on in-app purchase gems when they're struggling to pay their energy bills, right? Like that's happening mm-hmm. more. But I will say, because he makes the other point, which I do think could be a part of it, right? Like there is less advertising spend happening post app track and transparency in gaming because it can't be as targeted as much which could have brought down the amount of new acquiring customers in gaming, which Apple would feel on their cuts, right? Are you following what I'm saying, right? Like, yes, right. Because less people now are downloading new games for the first time because they're not being advertised to them, it would reduce the amount of gems and whatever that were bought, which Apple would also feel if that was happening, which is an interesting thing to come back around again on. But the difference between Apple and Meta and Google and all these other companies or whatever, they're gonna hit they're gonna be hit harder because it's a bigger part of their revenue than it is Apple's, right? Because Apple has all the hardware. Yep. So super interesting. And I'm I wanna see how that all shakes out. Cause this is the thing of like they're actually trying to understand the true impact of either of these two things is too complicated. Is it the economy? Is it app tracking, transparency, and advertising stuff? We actually don't know because it's all happening at the same time. <laughs> so <laughs> we can't really work it out right now. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot going on here. But that's one of the things. Apple noted a substantial expected drop in Mac revenue next quarter. Now, it is a tough compare, right? That's what they said. That's what they said. Also, we have to say that the Mac, the Mac uh, quarter this quarter was high, uh, and Apple said there were there were the three reasons why. Right, one is demand, but two is fulfilling all the demand from last quarter where they didn't have Macs to sell people, and then three was filling the channel. And if you remember, they basically had, had a factory showdown. <laughs> factory showdown. You and you fight the winner. Gets to make Max. <laughs> gets to make Max. That's right. And the, they both shot each other and they died. So that took a while to fix. Uh, and they didn't have Max for a while. See? Seamless. So uh, they spent this quarter and part of last quarter catching up. And the point is the reason the Mac quarter was so great is because they didn't just sell a lot of Macs in the quarter. They didn't just have, have the MacBook Air, which is their most popular computer. And there was a new one of it that people liked. But also they fulfilled all those orders that were outstanding from last quarter and made a bunch to fill the channel so that people could walk into stores and buy them. So uh, they said, look, that Mac number is a little bit inflated because of that and then yes next quarter will be a tough compare because they had the uh, what the macbook pros and stuff coming out last year and so it's not going to be the same it seemed like um from what luca luca made this statement and then also something that tim said seemed to hint that there weren't going to be any more macs new this year right 
Yeah, they said that you know something about retail, and they said you know our our uh, product line is set going into the holidays, which strongly implies that there aren't going to be any new Macs this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a hundred percent. Like no, you know, just, it, 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 these two pieces could maybe suggest that, but it could also mean it is set. We have plans. You know what? Like we don't really know yeah. what set means. I suppose, and it could mean that that we don't think the products we're gonna. I mean, look, we're wish casting here a little bit because I think it's I think the most likely scenario is there are no new announcements until next year. Mm-hmm. But you could say, well, yeah, but what we're going to do is a speed bump Mac Mini and MacBook Pro. These are not part of our holiday lineup per se, right? They're yep. nerdy Macs uh, that are great, but like they're not, and they're and they're filling existing parts of the ecosystem, and we're not spending a lot of marketing on them. And you know, they're coming out in the next couple of weeks, so they will be there for the holiday season. You can rationalize it a lot. Yep. I think if you take it on its face, what they're saying is no more product announcements until next year. And also, as expected, uh, Apple cannot meet demand of the Pro iPhones at the moment. They are struggling to meet demand. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that they they uh, are trying to get in balance and hope to get in balance this quarter. But it's one of those things where the Pro phones have done really well. And please note they did not say that the non-Pro phones were doing that well, but that the Pro phones were doing that well. Um, and you know, again, not ideal, right? You want to fulfill everybody. If they want an iPhone, you want the, the platonic ideal of Apple's production process is, uh, if you want it, we have it and that's all we have. We, we have one for you and one for everyone else who wants one today. And then we have none. And then tomorrow we get a new shipment and we sell every single one of those. That's the dream. Um, and right now they're not there. Did they give any kind of, aside from the Mac thing? Did they give any kind of hint towards the holiday quarter, what they think it's going to look like? Because I know that they don't do forecasting, but they have been making some statements, right, in the past year or so, a couple of years, I guess, about like if they're like, like with the Mac thing, if they're expecting something good or bad. Did they give any kind of like, we think the next quarter is going to look good or bad or anything like that? I don't think I have. Okay, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you what he said, which is, okay. uh, we're not providing revenue guidance. We believe total company year-over-year revenue performance will decelerate during the December quarter as compared to the September quarter. And what that means is overall performance. That means total revenue. Total revenue was eight up eight percent year-over-year. Okay, it will be less than eight percent. Will it be above zero? We don't he know. didn't say. Um, my guess is. If you were putting money down, you'd you'd say, yeah, four, four percent, five percent year over year, which by the way, again, last holiday quarter was the biggest holiday quarter for Apple ever. Mm. But they're not saying that. They're not saying they're gonna they're gonna do that. They're saying all they will say is it's l- gonna be less than eight percent year over year growth. I've forgotten and I look 123 billion. I'd forgotten that. Yeah. My right. God, I'd f- what oh, what would they mm-hmm. eat in that one? Uh, do you reckon they're going to beat it? You reckon they're going to do like 125, 126, something like that? I have learned not to underestimate Apple's capability to break mm. its own records. So mm. I would probably guess that that will do, you know, 4, 4% year over year, 2% year over year, something like that. I'm betting the iPhone's going to do really well for them this year. I think so, especially if they can get those pro models out of, the, you know, and into people's hands uh, this quarter. I think that they'll do pretty well, and it is the iPhone quarter. But they have it's a right tough compare, as they mm-hmm. say. Uh, last quarter's growth was uh, the for the Q3 
was 2% year over year. So, yep. And then this was eight. Uh, and the previous quarters were like 11, nine, two, eight. So saying it's going to be two or four, you know, if it's above zero, it will be their biggest quarter ever, regardless. Because yep. I'm thinking people are going to treat this like it was a new redesign. I, I, that's where I'm kind of thinking. Could be. That's where, that's where I'm coming from. Like the, the marketing really shows the dynamic island a lot and i think that they might be betting on that as like hey people will look at this and be like that's a brand new iphone you know and and it sell uh like that would now what they say about foreign exchange is they think it will be nearly 10 percentage points of negative year over year impact right so what they're saying there is in a neutral foreign exchange environment whatever number they hit in a neutral world, it would be 10% higher than that of year-over-year year growth. Okay. So they're really setting the expectations there that if they're up 2%, it would have it's been 12. 12 if it weren't for foreign exchange headwinds. Or if they're down 2%, it would have been up 8 And so they've laid that out there. We'll see what they say. But they also cite the challenging compare because they had the MacBook Pro with M1 last year, uh, which is why they made that decline substantially claim about the Mac. Um, and they said services they expect to grow, but again, they will continue to be impacted by the macroeconomic environment, which is all those things we talked about. It's for, not just foreign exchange, but soft digital advertising and also people not buying tokens for their game because they're instead paying their heating bill. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. You want to make sure that your Mac is a trusted tool, something that we use for our work, education, life, and everything in between. MacPaw are on a mission to help your machine help you, and that's what Clean My Mac X is all about. It is the ideal decluttering app for the Mac to keep you in tip-top shape, which I think is perfect around the operating system season, right? Like this is the perfect time to bring Clean My Mac X into your life, right? You want to make sure that your machine is nice and clean and you've got all the space you want before you put Ventura on your machine. That's what I do. It's what I think you should do. And Clear My Mac X is perfectly set up for it. It has 49 tools to find and delete invisible computer junk. That stuff you just can't seem to get rid of. Clear My Mac X will. It helps tune up your Mac so it runs at its full speed and power. It will organize your disk space. Show your large hidden folders, meaning that you can free up tons of space so you're never going to run into issue with storage, which is good when you're downloading a new operating system. It will fight Mac-specific malware and adware to protect you and it will prevent your Mac from cluttering, lagging, and slowing down. Plus, Clean My Mac has an all-new menu bar app to help you take care of your Mac's health, with six detailed monitors to provide you with useful information like your storage, your state of protection, CPU performance, RAM, battery, and network speeds. Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple and available in the Mac App Store, so it's been checked for security. Stands out in its design, so much so in 2021, Clean My Mac was honored with the Red Dot Award, a UX Design Award, and has become a Webby Award nominee this year. So get Clean My Mac X today with 5% off at macpore.app upgrade. This discount is only valid for two weeks. That is MacPaw.app slash upgrade for 5%. MacPaw, they are based in Ukraine. Their team works incredibly hard to make sure there are no disruptions in the support and development of Clean My Mac X, despite the war in their country. This product is stable, safe, secure, and I think we should show them the support. Go download this fantastic app. Try it out for yourself today. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Money, 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 money. Money? <laughs> I want to talk about you. You ch chaptered uh, gave the title for this chapter, which I like. Yes, Apple does awful stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we originally had two separate segments, and I thought, mm-hmm. well, I can lump these together as stuff Apple does that we don't like, right? Mm-hmm. I can do that. A little while ago, we spoke about Apple adding some new ads to the App Store. And at the time, we spoke about a new ad unit going to the Today page, Mm -hmm. which is the kind of the home page of the App Store where it has like Apple's uh, editorial teams giving you recommendations. Like if you go there now, it's usually the second block is an ad. Now, I didn't like this at the time, and I really don't like it now because... I've gotten used to that homepage being an, a curated list of stuff that could be interesting for me to check out. But now, Dragon Tail Hunter World is there. Earlier, mm-hmm. it was Candy Crush for me. And I don't feel like Apple should be selling their influence in this way. I don't think that they really need to hmm. do that? Well, I, there, look, there's a couple of things going on here, right? Um, the There's the macro level and then there's the detail level for this. Mm-hmm. So on the detail level, I on the detail level, I think this is just bad technology, right? Like what they're really doing is they've, and bad, I mean, it's everything. It's bad. It's bad technology. It's bad policy. But on the detail level, I think the the, the big objection is it's allowing advertisers of apps to now enter into places where they're not relevant. They're yeah. like barging in. And for all we say about ad personalization and ad tracking and all of those things, um, relevance is important with ads. And if you don't have a lot of signals about who the person is, then the other signal you have is what the where the ad is placed. Mm-hmm. So if you're on a kid's app... The signal you've got is this is a kids app. Advertise kids stuff here because the person who's looking at this is buying kids apps. And one of the issues that has come up here is these these apps are just barreling in like the Kool Aid Man, going like, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Gam- kids, how about gambling ads? <laughs> Candy and, Crush, yeah, right." And yeah. And that is so that's a problem that that part of the features of this ad unit is as an advertiser, you can basically press the Kool-Aid man button and say, I don't care. Just put it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if you're an app developer or a user, I would say, who is there having a totally irrelevant thing that also is probably or, or has a strong possibility of being something that's kind of unpleasant and and that you is not related at all to the experience that you want, that's bad, right? Like, that's bad. The idea that, and people were using lots of examples of, like, kid stuff with gambling ads. Yeah. Can I just, just step in real quick to add a little bit of context, because I didn't say sure, it earlier, and, and we are moving into it. There was also a second ad unit that I think we missed, or I didn't notice, or didn't realize oh, yeah. the potential Sorry. implication of, which is in, uh, you might also like so if you go yeah. to any app page there's like a you know if you like this you might like this right which is i don't know it's to, it's like a good information thing to have like people that downloaded this app probably right. also downloaded these other relevant apps. results right relevant results and so in the area of relevant results you now have irrelevant results which is the, the first top. of these is an ad yes and, and it's a bad ad i mean that that's the a lot of the criticism was not only is it an ad but it's a bad ad because mm-hmm. this is where you get 
in the um, gambling recovery app, you get ads for gambling, or you did. Apple yep. paused this program. We'll just cut to the 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 result of this at least for now. As they said, they paused this program, but because like in the gambling, uh, trying to fight gambling addiction, there are gambling ads. Uh, in uh, in podcast apps, there are gambling ads. In programming apps, there are gambling ads. They're everywhere. And the reason there are gambling ads, so like, and when we say gambling, these are actual like. Uh, Gambling companies, like sports betting companies, and yeah. also games that feature these types of mechanics, yeah. like casino, casino games, games for kids, yeah, and, and stuff like that. And, and the reason that these apps are so prolific is that you can choose as a, an advertiser, you can say, "I want it to be targeted," or just like just scattershot, put me everywhere. That's the Kool Aid Man button. Yeah, the right? Kool Aid, the Kool Aid Man button. And they these kinds of uh, where it's this kind of gambling stuff, they have the most money to play with. <laughs> They're gambling on it, right. but they have the most money because they, they make the most money, and so they just put their ads everywhere. Yeah, right. So that that is the so new ad units. We can talk about that is the other issue here, but like we can talk about Apple's ad unit strategy in the App Store, but this one in particular, where it's like now, because remember. Apple already already has a policy where like app developers are very limited in their communication with their customers because Apple considers them Apple's customers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the developer's app page is kind of important, right? It is the storefront that they are allotted by Apple. And now this is an extra piece of junk on there. And it's not even relevant. I think that's the part that like I, I don't love. I'm trying to parse this out here. I don't love ads in the app store at all honestly yeah and that's the separate issue but like if you're gonna do it i feel like you got to do it right and yep. that means you got to have relevant ads yep. or you've got to have policies that that if if some apps are allowed to push the kool-aid man button some apps in some categories can't or if they do push it it's it's barred from certain areas but apple seems to have just opened the doors wide and said uh, Mr. Kool-Aid Man, please walk through this door. Yeah. And Kool-Aid Man said, oh, yeah, because that's all he ever says. <laughs> and we ended up where we are. So that, I mean, like, there's nuance here, which is, could this ad unit have been done better? And the answer is absolutely yes. And And then there's the larger issue, which is ads in the app store. And... You know, the problem with me giving a nuanced take about this is that somebody who uh, wants to respond will say, yeah, but you don't want ads in the app store at all. And my answer to that is kind of yes. I don't want ads in the app store. I don't think ads need to be in the app store. I just don't think it needs to happen. I, I really don't. I don't think it needs to happen. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, here's here's the thing. Apple is is having its cake and eating it too here. Apple yep. has made the App Store a place that everybody has to go on iOS and iPadOS. It's mandatory. It's the only one. They fought, fought very hard to say, oh no, we need this experience uh, to be curated and whatever. But what they're also doing is they're building a platform where they know everything that you've bought and everything that you've looked at. But it's not tracking because it's Apple who knows. That's first party data, Jason. Didn't you know? Yes, it's first party data. It's not, it's not tracking if it's first party data. Everybody has to be there. There's no alternative. And and we've argued here on many occasions about like the the positive aspects of Apple's policies and good things about the App Store. But like Apple is doing has built this system that everybody has to be a part of and that Apple has all the data of and then has said and what we're going to do is we're going to put ads in it too. And then also shut down the ability for other people to do it, right? With app tracking transparency. Right. 
Yes. Yeah. Right. So all of that is going on here, and I, I think that's I think that's the challenge because I, what I always said. Also, forgive me, but like I used to be an editorial person at a media company, and my last few years where I was I was very unhappy and didn't like my job. Most of what I did was have fights with salespeople who were trying to bring some other piece of garbage onto our website in order to generate incremental revenue. And one of the challenges with this, and this this brings me back to that. And the reason is what you want is somebody in a position of leadership who is looking at the big picture. Because if a salesperson, if an ad person comes to you and says, I can bring you more money, you as a business that's a profit-making entity are going to say, great, more money is great. And you need a leader who says, what does this do to our product to get this money? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make our product better. Does it make our product worse? Does it make our partners angry? Does it make our partners happy? You need somebody who is at that level. Now, I had a lot of presidents and CEOs at my former job who all but one of them came up through the sales side. And I would say the good ones knew that the job of being the boss was not a sales job. And the bad ones never made that connection. Um, and I say all of this to say, a leader needs to look at possible new revenue and say, we can't do that. It hurts our product too much, right? A leader needs to say, this is too far. It's not worth it. Yep. A, ba a bad leader says, I don't care how bad it makes our product. Just give me the money. Yep. And I spent the last few years of my career in corporate media trying to convince my leaders that the asinine things that were being proposed by the sales staff made our website terrible and that the true value of our company was the product and the readers who cared about the product, mm -hmm. not our ad revenue. Yeah. <laughs> ad revenue is a spinoff of the product. It's not the product. And um, so to wrap this up, what I'll say is, it sure feels like there's nobody home at Apple who is a leader in the App Store to say this degrades our product. Who has the power to, at least, right? Or Well, yeah. No, I am sure there are people there who are saying this is outrageous. I mean, in fact, I, I know that, I'll just put it this way, I know there are people at Apple who think this is outrageous and who said so. How about that? Mm. But whoever is in charge, like, I don't know if the ad guy is just in charge and he's been, because they have a guy who's like in charge of ads at Apple now. He's like their, their ad maven. We were talking about him a while ago, right? When it grow right. by a thousand million percent or whatever it was. Yeah. That was a Mark Gurman report. Right. Exactly. And at the time I was like, oh boy, okay, what does that mean? But here's the problem. I don't know whether that, that guy just gets to put ads wherever he wants and nobody cares or whoever is enabling that guy doesn't care. Or doesn't think it's a problem. But personally, given that there's no alternative to the App Store, I hate the whole thing and I think the whole thing is rotten. And the reason it started as being rotten is remember where this started, which is, oh, you've got Overcast, but I'm Spotify. And, and 
Apple says, guess what? Everybody who's searching for Overcast, we're going to show an ad for Spotify. And, and, and Marco, the author of Overcast, goes, well, no, I don't want to. And Apple's like, well, then you got to outbid Spotify for your own product name. Mm-hmm. And who wins in that scenario? Apple wins because you are now, because what's happening is Apple is creating this grand system where they take a percentage from all transactions in, in the store and some places outside of it, it turns out. And then what they do next is they come back to you and they say, um, of the percentage that we allowed you to keep, you now need to fund us even further with ads so that you can do better. And Apple sells it as being this great opportunity for app developers to uh, see new, uh, you know, reach new audiences. But it's like Apple's algorithms could be good and could do that. They could surface apps that generate sales that generate more money for Apple. But they've decided to weaponize advertising as another way to extract revenue from app developers. And this is, you know, this is so far down the slope from there, but I think it is a, a core rot at the center of Apple's app store that I would feel, again, I would feel a little differently if there were alternatives, because then if Apple ruined the app store, everybody could go somewhere else, but they can never go anywhere else. They are stuck. Apple has them under their complete control. And whoever is in charge of advertising looks at it and goes, well, they're not going to tell me to stop and they've got nowhere to go. So I'm going to make this as, as gross as possible. Yep. That's what's happening. You know what they'll call that internally? That's a competitive advantage, right? That's their competitive advantage. Oh, sure. Advantage. Sure. And that's why, I, I, and I know that people are, probably there's some people out there are like, oh, editor, editor types are so naive. It's like, I'm a content person, but I'm also, I would like to think I'm somebody who thinks about the bigger product. You're a business and, man. And, and in all of my time at IDG, what I found shocking was the bad leadership at times. And I also had good leadership, I will say. But the bad leadership at times where it felt like the CEO or president didn't care about the product. I cared about the product. And the only thing I could do was fight with my boss about the quality of the product versus revenue. And they were not there. And, and, you know, dying media companies... (laughs) I get the pressure that they're under to hit their numbers. IDG was very much, you you know, you could do whatever you want as long as you give us your money at the end of the year. That was their, the way they worked. Mm-hmm. But this is Apple, right? Like, and, and if we want to say, well, that's what Apple is now. Mm-hmm. Apple doesn't care about product quality. They care about money. Okay, but like somebody at Apple should probably look at this and say, oh, this is too far. This is against our values. And and again, Apple takes great pride. It has huge a huge ego about how they make the be- world a better place. We just heard, as we do every quarter, Tim Cook talk about their vision for the future and helping uh, you know communities that are disadvantaged and going green and all of these things. They talk about Apple making the world a better place. They talk about Apple caring about this stuff. Only Apple can do this. But actions matter. And the actions on this front are not the actions of a company that cares about that stuff. They're the actions of a company that cares about product quality less than they care about incremental revenue. Incremental, by the way, because how much money is this really throwing to the bottom line versus the the stuff that matters? And I would argue it's probably not very much. And so they're junking up their product 
And for what? Like, if the, if the ad stream was it's like more Street. than iPhone revenue, we'd be like, okay, it's all I, for you Wall got Street, me. right? Like, they just need to pump the services revenues so that the markets don't think that they're right. out of ideas. That's true, I, I'm, and I'm still not convinced. As but Tim I don't Cook think said, that's a good thing to do. But like, I think it's part yeah, of the reason no, they do it. But uh, as Tim Cook said, uh, their ad business compared to, uh, I think, essentially Facebook and Google is very small, and it, he's right about that. Maybe mm-hmm. they dream of it being bigger, but like in the end, is this the button you push? Is this your choice about the lever that you can pull in order to, in order to boost your services revenue? Speaking of boosting, yeah, there's another place they wanna. They want to get make some money from as other people's ads. So Apple made a couple of changes to the App Store guidelines. One was banning NFTs from being able to unlock experiences right. or content within applications. NFTs, QR that codes, was happening. any way, you know, any way that somebody could authenticate to get some right. kind of digital good, they banned right. that straight up banned. Which that. I, which I, on one level, I understand it because it's them saying, I think. People are getting around the in-app purchase system by mm-hmm. offering these other other kind of confusing, but ultimately other paths to unlock features in their apps. But the problem is, it runs into all of those like reader apps and stuff, where it's like, yeah, but I can go buy I can go buy Netflix on the outside and watch it on the inside, yeah. and it's like, well, yes, but not these, not these. Yeah. Oh, the, not NFT readers. No, 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 no. But the thing that I think mm. is the most egregious uh, is that so say your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Inside of these applications, you as a user can pay to boost your post. So it will get more impressions, more people will see it, and you know, it's a sponsored thing, an ad thing, that kind of thing. Apple has now said any boosting that occurs within the social media app, so in the Twitter app, in the Instagram app, Apple now wants, well, Apple now requires that these transactions occur through the in-app purchase model and they want their 30% for it. So, so yeah, I'm less offended by this one than the other one, honestly, because this one, I mean, it's dumb, but this one is basically like, well, if you're in the, cause it's, if you're in the app. So if there's like a Twitter advertising app and then there's the Twitter app yep. and you make posts over in the Twitter advertise in the Twitter app, mm-hmm. and then you go to the Twitter advertising app and you boost the post. Mm-hmm. I think that's allowed. It is allowed, but I just don't understand what the difference is again. Like yeah. they're just drawing these lines. It's gerrymandering, right? Like they're just like, it's oh, you can weird. do it here and it's fine and you can use a credit card. But like, oh, no, this no, This feels no. like somebody like, saw something that they were getting away with and they're like, well, we'll show them. And they made this new rule because somebody was, you know, was getting away with extra extra revenue within like, hey, you made a social media post. Would you like more people to see it? Right? Like that's that's the thing about Facebook that people don't remember. And by the way, Facebook is evil for doing stuff like this. Facebook encouraged everybody to create like pages for their businesses and their yeah. their personal stuff and all of that. And it used to be that your pages, you posted a thing on a page and everybody yeah. who followed your page saw it. And the Facebook was like, in a move very similar to Apple's uh, moves in this space, Facebook was like, yeah, now only 10% of the people who follow your page are going to see that unless you pay us. Mm-hmm. That was the shift that they made. That was terrible. Yeah. So, so this is the next part of that, which is the, the next part of the grift is now pay us. Just press this button and pay us, and then everybody will see your post. That's how we're going to do it. It like it it beats the algorithm basically, right? Like you, their algorithm that means that you not your stuff's not going to get shown to everyone. So this right. way you circumvent the algorithm. Right. Subscribe and click that bell icon. Yeah. I want to read two statements. This is the first is from a Meta spokesperson. 
Apple continues to evolve its policies to grow their own business while undercutting others in the digital economy. Apple previously said it didn't take a share of developer advertising revenue and now apparently changed its mind. Apple spokesperson. For many years now, the App Store guidelines have been clear that the sale of digital goods and services within an app must use in-app purchase. Boosting, which allows an individual organization to pay to increase the reach of a post or profile, is a digital service. So of course in-app purchase is required. Emphasis mine. This has always been, and I'll do it again, this has always been the case. And there are many examples of apps that do it successfully. As you can tell, Apple's statement rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Because yeah. I just think there are multiple issues with it, right? Where it's like, again, what we were just saying, like they're, they're saying, oh, it must have in-app purchase. But if you use the Meta Ad Manager to do the same thing, they don't require it there. So that doesn't make any sense based on this rule. And there's always this, this always been the case. This has always been the case, but here you go. We've just changed the rules. So like, it obviously hasn't always been the case because otherwise well, this wouldn't have been able to occur, would it? We're just clarifying what, what was always the case. Now it's clearer that it's still the case. This, fa- this just frustrates me so much, this one. like Because it's pointless. Why do they need to do this? And several, several people pointed out, it is breathtaking to think that with all of the, the conversations that everybody's having about, about tech companies overreaching, including Apple, that they would still be going down this path and, you know, I think it's only fair when we parse the words and behavior of Apple in order to guess at product stuff that's going on. I think we need to be fair and do it for other things. I parse this behavior as Apple not being concerned about this stuff hurting them. Yeah, they think they can just breeze right past it, right? I think they think that they're bulletproof or that if a bullet is coming for them, it's coming for them regardless. And so they're just going to continue on their path right. and not back down until they're forced to. Right. I think that's, and not, I, I think they seem to not have a view that every log on the fire, right? Like makes it worse that perhaps they ought to be steering away from stuff like this. But again, my, my other view is what I said earlier about the ad thing, which is, it feels like a lack of leadership to me. Either the leadership is very misguided about what Apple should be doing strategically and just doesn't care, or the people in positions of leadership are not paying attention to this stuff and 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 think it won't. It's like they're either endorsing it or they're not paying attention. But either way, it's it's criminal <laughs> as a leader of a, of a of a company to do this kind of thing because they're putting their company at risk. And they're also separately making those revenue decisions that I think, I think in both of these cases, in the end, it is about money and Apple not wanting to leave every dollar on the table, which I get. I get why they are there culturally. I get why, you know, I think that there is strength in that on one perspective, but on another perspective, I think it goes back to, and I know I've said this before, a fundamental issue with the way Steve Jobs thought of Apple, which is that all value related to Apple is created by Apple and should belong to Apple. And every bit of value that's in any way related to Apple's products and platforms that doesn't go to Apple is theft. That is fundamentally what Steve Jobs thought. 
I can tell you stories, some of which I probably can't tell you, about things that he said. I'll, I, I know for a fact that Steve Jobs never forgave Macworld for being named Macworld without paying Apple for the license to Mac as a name, right? And he never forgave Macworld Expo for building a, a conference business on the backs of Apple's greatness. And when they, the knives finally came out for Macworld Expo, it was made very clear to everybody that that was because Apple didn't didn't want the business relationship to continue because why should anybody do that the when when it's our greatness and it's our money and the app store has always felt exactly the same way now steve jobs's attitude really served apple well when apple was about to go bankrupt but apple is now one of the most popular or one of the most successful companies and one of the most profitable companies and has the one of the biggest cash hoards in the world and they still act like this and now they're just it, now it's I don't even know what metaphor to use here other than to say it's unseemly. Like they don't need to play this level of hardball, but their attitude is everybody else is a potential enemy. They're getting away with theft and we got to lock it down. And, and on the side, we're also going to add a bunch of ads in because we get more money that way. And it's this whole enterprise that has been set up to do revenue generation and either nobody understands how corrosive it is to Apple and Apple's products and Apple's developers and Apple's customers, or the scariest part is nobody cares. Just disappoints me. I love this company. I have for the majority of my life. I love the products that they make. I love what they stand for. This stuff upsets me, makes me yep. mad because... I feel like they're squandering what makes them so good sometimes. And I don't really know what for. Other companies I would be more willing to forgive, but we just spoke about how much money they made in their hardware. <laughs> and I and I just don't, you know, I don't understand it. You know, like social media companies are more willing to forgive these kinds of ad stuff for or whatever. Like, you know, we're an ad-supported company by and large. We spend a lot of time trying to make sure our advertising is the best that it can be and is as relevant as possible. And we work with advertisers that we like and we turn down a lot that we don't, blah, 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 blah. I don't have a problem with ads. I have a problem with the way that Apple goes about it. Like they could do it so much better and they could just leave other companies alone. I don't know why they need to do what they do. I don't know why they feel like they need to reach inside of the pockets of every single company that they possibly can to extract 30% of the revenue. It's like, you know, you talk about like, oh, we made this incredible economy for all these developers and for us. And I can, I just don't, Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, it's, it's. I mean, Apple, having having been very close, up up close to Apple for a long time, I will say, I don't always appreciate Apple as a company. I think there are always there have always been great people who work at Apple. I think Apple's Apple's philosophy when it's going well, especially they have made great products that I love, and that lots of people who've been using these products for in some cases decades, and in some cases only a few years, love. The company itself has always been more complex than that. Sometimes for good, sometimes for ill. Obviously, as a journalist who works with Apple, I, you know I've seen periods where they were um, the worst, <laughs> and so a company like Microsoft was amazing and great. Like they're not always connected to the products they make, and so so when like I I have always loved Apple's products. The company, 
you know, it's complex. It's complicated. How about that? And right now in this area, I feel like they've completely lost their way. But then again, somebody like those sales guys I used to fight with who say, no, 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 we got to we gotta bring in the revenue. It's like, it's different if the company's about to go out of business than when they, they just need another extra billion on the pile of $100 billion that they brought in, right? It, it's different. And I, I, you can't tell me that it's not. You can't tell me that it's not when a company is scraping to survive versus when a company is padding its already enormous earnings at the cost of its users and its developers and the quality of its products. You just can't. It's not the same. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, with real verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you those doctors, those patient-reviewed doctors that are going to take your insurance and they're going to be available when you need them. You can find every single specialist under the sun, whether you want to straighten your teeth, fix an achy back, get a mole checked out, or just about anything else. ZocDoc's got you covered. Their mobile app is as easy and as you, like as familiar to you as when you order a ride to a restaurant or you get food delivery. You just search, find, and book a doctor in a few taps. This is like so good. This is the way it all should be. It should be convenient for you. You don't have to go to the waiting room, wait for hours. Or you don't have to go and do a bunch of searching and maybe you find the wrong person. It, this should be nice and easy and simple. And the technology at ZocDoc allows for this. You can find and review local doctors. You can read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. Now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network that gets you. So find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment in person or remote that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. It's their go-to whenever they need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. One last time, that is ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and all of FM. I would like to talk about Stage Manager. Okay. On the Mac. Ah, yes. Okay, great. Because I've had my first experiences of it over the last week. And I was excited about it, right? I've been talking about it the whole summer. I've been really excited about it. I was like, I think Stage Manager might be for me. I will say, overall, I still believe that to be true. Maybe I'm the only fan of Stage Manager on the Mac, at least I think in maybe our circles. It is flawed. In some areas, deeply flawed. But the overall idea of it really works for me. I want to talk you through what I'm thinking about. So some things are really missed. Keyboard shortcuts, trackpad gestures, as you mentioned on last week's episode. I completely agree with you. Completely. like I miss them. I'm, I'm finding myself swiping on my trackpad to switch spaces. Nothing's happening, right? Um, better touch tool. And it seems to be adding some stuff for this. Um, what is the other app that the, that the Better Touch Tool developer makes? Did I make another one? Oh, better I don't know. Touch Tool and... Anyway, uh, they're like kind of making a hacky way around it of like assigning a swipe to an app that's in a stage so it would move between them, which is kind of interesting. I might play around with this. I'm not sure. But Apple should definitely add keyboard shortcuts and trackpad gestures to Stage Manager on the Mac where, you know, 
It is wild to me that iPad OS actually has more of them. More keyboard shortcuts, especially. Is, yeah. It is wild. Yeah. You know, that's, I, you, you, I mentioned this in my review, but it's absolutely my frustration. The things that they need to fix at the top of my agenda are getting around. I mean, it's like, yeah, keyboard shortcuts, um, gestures, uh, being able to customize that stuff, being able to automate maybe some of that stuff, get, you know, give it a shortcuts interface or something. It's just, it is baffling that the iPad has that stuff and the Mac doesn't. And that's that's at the heart of my problem with Stage Manager on the Mac right now is that I don't feel like I can um, control it like I would want to in order to use it effectively. Yeah. There should be a shortcut of some description to open an app or window and have it remain in the current stage. There's an awful lot of times like I click a, an app, it just opens a new stage every single time, right? I, I want to be able to easily open something new and have it appear in the stage that I'm in. Like from the dock, for example, right? I would love the ability to shift click on an app in the dock and it open in my current, uh, like my current stage. The place where this is worse is Finder. So you're in a stage, you want to get a file, you click on the Finder icon on the dock and it takes you to a new stage, and all that stage has in it is one Finder window. And it's like, that is bad. Because usually when I'm opening Finder, I want a document to refer to something or to open in or to drag into an app that I'm already using, right? So I would love to be able to shift-click on the Finder icon in my dock and open the Finder window right there. Like, that one feels really simple to me. Irrespective of any other kind of options, that feels like an option that should 100% exist. Because like yeah. on the iPad, you could just drag an app into the current stage from the dock. Right. This, nothing like this exists on macOS, right? But then there's this like, there are like these weird edge cases where like in some ways you can do this. So this is where it gets even weirder. So stick with me here. You've got a stage and it has two Safari windows in it, right? If you're in another stage, maybe you've got the Notes app in it, and you would like to bring in one of those Safari windows, what you do is you go over to the to the, the, the sidebar, what is it called? The strip, right? Where all the, the sure. apps are. Yep. If you click on the Safari icon, it opens up a separate view where it separates those two windows from each other, still in the strip. It's like you go a, like a stage, like you go another level into the strip. And then you can drag one window, one of these Safari windows that is separated into your current stage. Great, right? It's a good way to separate stuff out. But if a pile uh, within the strip has multiple apps in it, let's imagine it's Todoist and Apple Mail, you can't do this. <laughs> if you click on the icons, it gets rid of everything else, but keeps the grouping together. So it doesn't separate them. So you could drag one of those apps in. What you can do is shift click on the pile in the strip and it will bring in one of those apps, but the one that is actually the foreground app. Yeah. So if you want the second <laughs> app, you now bring it in two of them. I don't understand why this shift clicking exists at all. If it only does that one thing. Like, I don't know why, like, if I click on the icons, why doesn't it separate all of the apps? Why does it only do this for Windows, right? So, like, I could be in a stage and be like, oh, I would love it if I could actually have Notes in here. Notes is currently in with this these other two applications. Let me just click on the icons, and then I can drag that, like, but it doesn't do that. 
or if there's something you could do, like I keep thinking about like, and maybe they need to rethink all of their keyboard shortcuts, but like, yeah, option click on notes in the dock and it brings it in or shift click on notes yeah. in the dock and it brings it in or something like that. And they, they just don't have that. They just don't have it. Or that like when you do that icon clicking, it separates them and then you can just drag stuff. Like, I, I don't know why it doesn't do that. Um, something I found out today, stage manager does not persist after a restart. I had to restart my Mac mm. and stage manager came back, but all of my apps were in single stages on their own again. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Spaces doesn't do this. Like Spaces yeah. remembers. Stage there manager did not remember. So yeah. every time you were restart, now luckily I don't do that on my MacBook Air very much, but uh, because I had to, something was going weird with my computer, so I did a restart and it fixed it. But that meant that I had to rebuild kind of my stages the way that I wanted. And the window placement is not remembered mm-hmm. <laughs> either. So I had to do all that. Mm. On a se- secondary note, it seems like now, when I plug my studio display in after a restart, I have to authenticate it. I have to unlock my Mac first before my studio display will work. It says on my <laughs> Mac screen, unlock <laughs> Mac to use accessories. Now, I'm just going to say, Apple, my studio display is not an accessory. It's my display. So now if you restart your Mac, you have to authenticate your Mac before your display will work. If you've been wondering why your display isn't working, that might be why. Um, this is on Ventura. Uh, the the animation for switching between stages is maybe a bit much. Like, I think I would like something that's a little less aggressive than this because I have to see the animation. I've always liked the spaces animation. It's very quick. This is like a little slower than I'd want maybe. Um, I would also like, we're talking about visual stuff, I wouldn't mind it if the strip was just app icons. Like, I don't need the windows. Like, I know then it's kind of just like the dock, but like, whatever, leave me alone. (laughs) Uh, I like, overall, I would say, like, I really like this way of arranging windows on the Mac in general. Like, I find it easier to have five stages than having five spaces. So I tried this for a while. I've always used two spaces. I have one where I have like Safari and when I'm on like recording or whatever, where I might have other recording things and then another space where all my other apps are. And it was loads of apps all layered on top of each other, like loads of them. And I tried once splitting it out into a bunch of spaces that were like, this is where communication is. This is where task management is. Like this is where like, but then I had five spaces. And if I wanted, if I was on space one and I wanted to go to space four and I would just naturally swipe, I'm like swiping forever. And I hated that. What I like about Stage Manager is those like stages, which are effectively spaces, right? Like just like different desktops. Mm -hmm. They're just all there visually. And I've come to learn that I think I am like a visual person when it comes to arranging my windows. It's like similarly, like I like to have all my apps open and I can kind of see them peeking around each other and I can click around. And I know I can get there by using Alfred or Spotlight, which I do. And I also sometimes will use Command Tab and sometimes I use the dock. But I also really like to just have everything visually available to me. And so Stage Manager does that. Like I can go over and I can see like these applications are there. And maybe for that reason, I do sometimes kind of like that I can see the windows. So like I actually, you know, I think it would be a nice option to be able to like minimize that it's a bit big you know like maybe shrink it down a bit but i do like and i like that if you put an app over that area it kind of hides it and you can go over there and it will come back like you move the mouse over 
But like, I think the visual component of like seeing them all there and being able to just mouse over and quickly get to the fourth space, a uh, fourth uh, stage in my little list, I really like that. And and so like, I can easily see what I have open. I can easily switch. I can have my apps be bigger on the display now because I haven't got like twelve apps in one space. I've got like three apps in one stage. Like fundamentally, I think this actually fits way more with how I want to work on my Mac having bunches of apps open and I can just go and get to them when I need them. And they're kind of like put together in what I consider to be logical pairings for those apps. I would just really like to be able to deal with some of the edge cases easier. Like I usually have notes just on its own because I use notes like that. But sometimes I would like to quickly bring notes and Safari together. I would like it to be easier to do that, to have quickly just bring it in and quickly break it out into its own stage again. And a lot of that would come with shortcuts, which at the moment is a bit lacking. So yeah. I'm going to continue using it. And I'm also now pretty keen on upgrading my MacBook Pro that I do all my recording on in my like recording area of my studio. I want to update that to Ventura so I could put Stage Manager on here. I'm really keen. I don't know how Stage Manager works on two, two monitors. I haven't seen that yet. I don't know what that's like. I'm intrigued to see what that is like. I think it might be a bit of a disaster but we'll find out but i i really like stage manager for the way that it helps me visually arrange the apps on my mac but it feels pretty unfinished especially when you yeah. compare it to ipad os which has more functionality even though it's like broken in a bunch of ways but it has it's the same feature they announced them at the same time shipped them at the same time but one version has more functionality than the other and that's wild to me mm-hmm they're the same, except they're not. Exactly. But I do like it. Okay. And, and it's more useful to me on the Mac than it is on iPadOS, honestly. Yeah, I mean, my review says it. It's I, I just it's I feel it's un, unfinished. They need to keep working on it because it could be useful, not for everybody, but none of their window managers are for everybody. Everybody, we learned already, everybody arranges windows differently. But you want to give people tools so they can find a work a work system that works for them. Yeah. And this one, for me, I feel like it's just losing. It doesn't have enough of the niceties to make it, to give you the control that at least that I feel it needs to have. And it has exposed to me the fact that some of its other stuff like Spaces also lacks a lot of those same sort of niceties. And those have been there for a long time, but like Spaces should get those niceties too, right? Like this, yep. it, it, it just, it feels like, if you're going to do this, you got to do it properly and that they're not at that stage yet, which is why there needs to be more. We've run a little long today. Tons of stuff to talk about. Do you want to finish out with a couple of Ask Upgrade questions? Yeah, just for let's fun. do it. Just for fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Brantz asks, do you think the touch bar would have gone over better if it had haptic feedback? It's an interesting idea. I think, I think not just haptic feedback, right? Because haptic feedback, you touch it, and it does something. But the problem is, I think, with anything that's in that in that plane down there with the keyboard is if you have to do it on by looking instead of by feel, you kind of have lost because ideally you're not staring down at your keyboard. Hmm. The ideal would have been something which is like feels like it wouldn't happen, which is having little keys with LED screens in them. 
well, there are a couple ways to go. Would that be the touch bar? I would say no, but yes, right. A programmable kind of set of keys that the keys change based on time. If you're going to do haptics, I would say you need to do uh, pressure sensitivity too and combine them because then you could move your finger over them and maybe even feel feel like where your finger was based on the haptics and then press or something like that. But I think I think the answer is uh, probably no. Probably this was an idea that was not quite right and uh it also the touch bar was never really going to be anything unless apple really made some effort to get the software to be good and to integrate with apps and all those things and apple never did any of that so yep. um it starts and ends with the software but sure they could have made the ergonomics different and it maybe would have gone better but again only if the software had uh had when i i, I haven't even mentioned this in this context but when i talk about Apple shipping things and then not ever improving them. The touch bar is in that category too, right? Yeah. Where it's like they shipped it and then it just sat there. And could the touch bar have been salvaged? Maybe if they had put some effort into uh, updating it and spreading it out and making it essential, but they they literally, they shipped it and forgot about it. And that's my fear with Stage Manager and some of the other features that they've shipped, the system settings app and all that, is that are they going to really do the work? Are they going to take responsibility for their actions and actually update these things? Or are they going to ship it and forget it? Because, you know, don't ship something that's not done and then forget about it. And the touch bar is like that too. Touch bar was not done. Touch bar so clearly needed more work and they never, ever gave it any. Liv asks, is ProMotion a deal breaker for either of you? With speculation of the 11-inch iPad Pro being axed, I can't imagine myself buying another iPad until ProMotion is added to the Air. I will say for me, the smaller the screen, the more I notice and the bigger impact that it has. So my iPhone, it does make a big difference to me. My MacBook Pro, don't notice it so much. My iPad Mini, I just wish it had a better screen in general, but... Mm. So that would maybe be where it starts to tip over for me. Like on the iPads, I forgot that feature existed. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I've seen some other people say this too, that like the smaller the screen, the more likely they are to notice the higher refresh rate. But that's kind of how it is for me. Smaller the screen, the more I notice it. I notice it maybe on really big screens, like on my Windows PC, I have a high refresh rate monitor and Windows supports that. And I do notice that like, the mouse cursor just looks way nicer than Apple's mouse cursor, like on on, on my non-promotion machines. Um, but for me, generally, the smaller the device, the bigger the impact. Well, I have two thoughts. One is having used the iPhone mini, going to the iPhone Pro, I definitely noticed the promotion and it was nice. But I also know that I spent more than a year, or spent a year at least, and I will go back to it at some point. I'm still using the review unit for now because Dynamic Island, basically, because I want, not just because I love it, but because I need to see how apps use it, right? And and the only way to be up on the Dynamic Island is to have an iPhone Pro at this point. But I didn't miss it when I didn't have it. So right. on the iPad, the iPad, when I'm not sitting at my desk, I am... You know, the iPad is the computing device for the rest of the uh, of my life and the rest of the house. And so it matters more to me. It's the opposite of you. The iPad matters more to me than the iPhone for that reason and for lots of reasons. That said, knowing what I know about the the mini, I would say it's not a deal breaker. And in fact, when I was using the iPad 
regular old 10th generation iPad, like it's fine. Right. And so I think the truth is, is it, is it nice? Yes. Is it a deal breaker? No. I think for anything, promotion is a nice to have, but I don't consider it a deal breaker anywhere. Um, yeah, for what it's worth. If you would like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you get access to if you sign up for Upgrade Plus. $5 a month or $50 a year, and you will get longer ad-free versions of every single episode of Upgrade and a ton of other benefits for being a RelayFM member. Thank you so much to everybody that supports us with an Upgrade Plus membership. Go to getupgradeplus.com. And thank you to our fine sponsors of this week's episode, ZocDoc, Clear My Mac X, and Capital One. We very much appreciate their support too, making this show possible. But of course, the most important support, the most important reason for why this show is made is for every single one of our wonderful Upgradians. Thank you so much for tuning into this show yes. every week as you do. If you'd like to find Jason in the meantime, go to sixcolors.com where you'll find a bunch of great writing. And of course, Jason hosts many shows here on Relay FM, as do I. Go to relay.fm slash shows, find something new for yourself. And if you want even more Jason Snow in your life, go to theincomparable.com and yes. you'll find a ton of great pop culture podcasts there too we'll be back next week who knows what wonders will await us until then say goodbye Jason Snow goodbye Mike Hurley 